0: Hi everybody, welcome to the podcast, Unconventional Conversations with Pastor Paul. Glad you're with me today. I, I had a wonderful podcast ready to go for this week with Lindsey Booker, who is Dot on TikTok. We'll do that one next week. I just felt like I needed to have a short conversation today with everyone. And you see the title, if you're watching on the video on YouTube, the title of this podcast, We Don't Have to Be Binary in Our Thinking. You know what binary thinking is? Binary thinking is human beings are man and woman. That's the only choice. God created day and night. There's no dawn or dusk, there's nothing in between. You're either a conservative or a liberal. You're either a conservative or a sinner. <laughs> You're either a conservative or the Antichrist and demonic. You know, th- this is binary thinking. And it makes it very tough, tough for us to get anything done and accomplished. And I think the Bible actually speaks against thinking in such a way. And my part of that binary thinking idea comes today uh, as I'm thinking about Afghanistan and the war that we've just been through and what we're seeing, and how I, I think we've got to start to look at things like this differently. Because what we generally do is we, we take two choices. Like, I'm going to look at this from my tribal narrative. I'm going to believe the way I've always believed because that's what my tribe is doing. And so they believe it's Biden's fault or Bush's fault or Obama's fault. And I've got to fight for that narrative at all costs. And as we see the incredibly horrifying pictures coming out of Afghanistan, it's easy for us to think, I just got to find somebody to blame. And I want to say one thing. If somebody asked me, who do you blame for what's happening in Afghanistan right now? While I understand the nuances, there's a whole bunch of blame to go around, including those of us who were behind going into Afghanistan in the first place. But I would probably blame George Bush and his Christian supporters. We are military Bravos. We love America's ability to win war and set things right with our military might. And let's be honest, our American history is based around we are the greatest country in the world because of the wars we've won. We, we beat those Brits in the American Revolution. We took America, the continent, by defeating the indigenous peoples here. God must bless us because we won the Civil War with the North. God must bless us because we we were the ones that won World War One, even though we came in very very late, and we won World War Two, even though we didn't want to be in it at all until we were bombed by uh, Japanese fighters, and, and and Adolf Hitler then declared war on us. We believe our ability to win war and set the the world right with our military might. I even had a pastor friend tell me just recently, it's the American military that holds back evil in the world as if God is not able to hold back evil in the world, in our belief system. Uh, When I see the stats on the war in Afghanistan, it's staggering. There was a story in i think it was in Forbes magazine and and the numbers were staggering that over the 20 years of war by the way my son will be 18 here in a very short period of time and there's never been a day in his life when we've not been at war and so uh, a group called uh, the Watson Institute of Brown University released a cost of war study and the numbers are staggering that America has spent, I think it's $2.26 trillion on war in Afghanistan. That's something like $50,000 per day for every person that lives in Afghanistan. $2.26 trillion versus trillion, I believe, of total college debt in all of the United States. 71,000 Afghan and Pakistani civilians died as a result of the war. Some 2,400 Americans died in Afghanistan. Afghanistan, excuse me. The United States military in 2017 relaxed its rules for engagement for airstrikes in Afghanistan, which resulted in massive increase in civilian casualties. The CIA has armed and funded Afghan militia groups who have been implicated in grave human rights abuses and killings of of civilians. We went into Afghanistan to go after Al-Qaeda. Do we understand that Al-Qaeda was trained and armed by the United States because we loved that they were fighting against our enemy, the Soviet Union, for 10 years? We mocked the Soviets for being in war there for all those years, and we went into war there double that amount of time. Maybe God doesn't bless our military might all the time. Maybe there's a risk that we're being drained of our resources by war, not just money, but time and pride. And our children who have been at war for 20 years, fighting a war for the rest of us who sat at home and the war cost us nothing Because by the way, all of those monies you're hearing about have just been borrowed. We didn't cut any budgets to fight that war. We didn't make any American at home pay a price in any way for these wars in Afghanistan and Iraq to continue. And so now I hear people fighting this fight of, well, it's Biden's fault. Well, no, Trump started it. Well, Obama was the one that did the surge. Well, Bush uh, went in and did it. And honestly, I believe we went into war in Afghanistan and Iraq because our buildings fell on 9-11 and because Saudi Arabia probably had something to do with it. And we can't do anything about them because they're such important allies and they make sure that the gas price stays low at our pumps, that we then had to find somebody else with dark skin to go attack. And we certainly looked around and said, oh, there are Al-Qaeda groups in Afghanistan. We can justify that. Then we made up stuff to justify the war in Iraq. And we've created horrible carnage in those two events. And in talking with my friends on Evangelical-ish the other night, and some people who were commenting on there, the comment came forth of like, well, we had to do something after 9-11. If we didn't attack someone, we would just be telling the rest of the world, you get to attack the United States and they do nothing in return. And I ask, is that wisdom because because one of the things, if, if that's our stance, we had to fight somebody for 9-11, if that's our belief system, we need to be honest about this fact. That's not biblical, or it's certainly not New Testament biblical. It's certainly not anything that Jesus ever espoused in his teaching when he said things like, turn the other cheek. If somebody takes your cloak, give them your tunic. If forced to go a mile, go two. So let's not bullshit anybody with this being a biblical stance that we had to find some revenge against somebody to protect ourselves for the future. We could maybe argue Old Testament theology, but then I would say, well, there's a whole bunch of Old Testament theology that you're ignoring then in that place not the least of which is the story of Jonah. I think here's the problem. We think the United States is the keeper of all that is good and the holder, one holding back evil with our military might. And we miss because of that blindness to that mindset. We miss what the Bible is saying about beating our swords into plowshares so that peace can come to the world. Well, we have to have military to hold back evil. Have we ever thought about or tried any other way in the history of the world? Has the military power of the world ever said, we're going to lay down our swords because we think peace is more powerful than war. We think serving and dying for somebody changes the world more than killing people does. And every July 4th and Veterans Day and Memorial Day, we celebrate war in our churches in this Christian nation. And I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate our love for our country or our love for our soldiers and our veterans who paid so much. I'm saying we've got to quit worshiping war as our protection when the Bible says God is supposed to be our protection. They hit us. Let's hit them. That's not what Jesus said at all. That is 180 degrees, the opposite of what Jesus said, the absolute opposite. When James and John, Jesus' best friends, said, that Samaritan village, those people that aren't our race, our religion, our nationality, they rejected you, Jesus, We are so zealous for you, Jesus, and for the gospel. We're going to call down fire from heaven to blow up that village of Samaritans. And Jesus said, stop it. And he rebuked them. Sorry, I feel like I'm preaching here today, but I'm so passionate about this. And we're so sure that we have to stay in the mindset that we've been in, that I think we're missing the story of heaven and the opportunity of the moment. And Jesus said, stop it, you guys. You are of a mindset that's not of heaven right now. And you need to be aware of it and you need to come out of it. And I think he would say the same thing to the American church today. Stop it, guys. Your mindset, this right-wing mindset that worships the things we worship, low taxes, low gas prices, um, military budgets, is not of the mind of heaven. You cannot read the New Testament and hear Jesus say, if you live by the sword, you will die by it and say, this is true. And I hear people say, well, he did say, take take your sword with you when you go out. Yeah, that's one time he said that. And he was talking about a provision and a tradition, but he wasn't talking about get ready to go kill people. When Paul or Saul of Tarsus was killing people zealously for what he believed the Bible was telling him to do, Jesus in the story met him on the road to Damascus. And he says, why are you persecuting me? When, when, when we go out and are killing people, Jesus is trying to say to us, you are killing people that matter to me. And my image and my spirit are on them. Why doesn't that matter to you? Now, here's the nuance. I can say, Okay, I think because something terrible happened with the buildings coming down, we have every right to protect our children and our lives. And so, yes, there is some part of we were able to go after Osama bin Laden, and I bless President Obama for making the call to to go in and get him. But I'm not going to sit here and say God was rejoicing when human beings get killed for our safety. Would he say, okay, you did what you had to do as human beings? Yes. But am I going out in the street and rejoicing over the death of another human being and chanting USA in the street? No, I think that's not a mindset that comes from heaven. Whatever happened to our idea of WWJD? What would Jesus do? Would Jesus celebrate American military might and war? I don't believe so. I believe he would say, stop it. You don't know the mindset. You don't know the spirit you're of right now. I didn't come to destroy people, said Jesus. I came to save them. And that tax collector you hate and feel justified to hate, he is a son of Abraham. He matters to me. Why can't we think that's important? take a quick break here in the middle of this and say part of the reason we're having trouble thinking about nuance in this season is because protecting our community narrative is so important to us. Community really matters to human beings. I get that. And so we need to learn what community looks like in a a thoughtful, important and healthy narrative. That's why I'm having a seminar coming up, a webinar, I should say. Am I happy? Am I supposed to be happy? And it's talking about why is a powerful personal identity vital in a time of deconstructing beliefs? As you're deconstructing your beliefs, how do you know you are discerning well what's happening in the world? Friday, August 22nd, 5.30 p.m. Pacific via Zoom, we're going to have a free webinar to start talking about how do we start to have a powerful identity in the middle of our deconstructing times. And you can see some of the things we're going to work on, like how does mindfulness come into play? What is the importance of the story of my identity? And how can I be okay on the days when things are not okay? I'll have some links for you soon in the comments and Uh, on the website at pastor-paul.com. And if I don't, send me a message and let me know that I didn't get it up because I'm working on a lot of stuff right now. But am I happy? Am I supposed to be happy? How do I know I'm walking in truth? A group of people are going to get together and start to discern how do we have a great and powerful personal story in the midst of our deconstruction so that we can know we're discerning truth well. And Jesus doesn't have to say to us you don't know the spirit you're of. So back to my talk on this lack of nuance and as we're arguing and and even as as I said on on evangelicalish the other night as, as my good friend Jeremy, who's brilliant, and, and I understood what he was saying, but he was like, hey, this is not the time to talk about this right now. Now is the time just to be empathetic for what's happening to the Afghan people and the and the pain of children over there. And, and I agree. I agree to some extent we have to have empathy and we can't lack empathy. But at the same time, I think healthy, powerful people can look at those images and say, I need to look in the mirror and consider how, if if my support of this conflict and of American military has been a part of leading us here, and do I need to change my mindset? Do I need to work on my identity and mindset so that I'm more in alignment with where God is? Can I see the carnage that my country, my government has created and start to challenge myself to change? Well, they hit us, we've got to hit them or else we're going to be in trouble. I don't think that's what the New Testament says. I don't think that's what Jesus ever said. Jesus said, do you know how I changed the world? I served it and died for it. What if we as followers of that rabbi from the first century named Jesus of Nazareth and said, I'll be willing to lay down my might to see shalom come into the world and I'll stop being in the mindset that our ability to defeat people in war is what keeps the world safe because we haven't done a very good job of it. And part of the problem of that is we begin to believe this Old Testament thinking. And again, you can you can believe Old Testament theology, but then I'm going to demand you follow all of it. You don't get to pick and choose the part of the Old Testament you follow. So if you say, well, well, God asked people to commit genocide in the Old Testament, so he must be okay with it. Then there's a whole bunch of other things in the Old Testament. I'm going to say, well, why God said this apparently in the Old Testament? Why aren't you following that? Either the old covenant was fulfilled by Jesus or it was not. And if it was fulfilled, then we can't go back and say, well, genocide was okay then, so it must be okay now. Racism and going to war against people that are of a different race was okay then, so it must be okay now. And by the way, let me tell you an Old Testament story to finish this all up. It's the story of Jonah, and quite often when we hear the story of Jonah, we really concentrate on that big fish swallowing him up part of the story. What we miss in the story is why Jonah went in the opposite direction and had to be brought back to the place he was supposed to be by a big fish, miraculously by a miracle of the divine, if you believe the story or if you believe it's just hyperbole either way. Why did Jonah have to be brought back? Why did he not want to go and preach to Nineveh? Because it says in Jonah chapter three and four, Jonah knew God was going to have mercy on the Ninevites and Jonah passionately hated them. They were those people that he didn't think deserved God's mercy and favor. And so he didn't want to go because he knew God was going to have mercy on them and not destroy them. And Jonah wanted them destroyed. Think of yourself in the story of Jonah as Jonah. And he says this in Jonah chapter four, Jonah says, God, kill me. I don't want to live in a world where you have mercy on the Ninevites. I don't want to live in a world where you have mercy on people that I hate. Is there any chance the Christians of America could relate? I don't want you, God, to have mercy on those people. They did this to us. And God said to Jonah, do you do well to feel this way? My translation of that in the Paul, Pastor Paul Bible is, how's that working out for you, Jonah, to think that way? Do you think that's wise? And there's this whole story about this plant growing up and dying and Jonah being upset about the plant and God saying, do you do well to care about the plant? And he finishes the book saying, Christian, you care about stuff that you have nothing to do with. And you expect me not to care about those other dark-skinned people that aren't you? Who do you think God is? What do you think the story of Jesus is? Why don't you read it and learn it and say, maybe if we lived it, As we claim to be Christian, which means follower of Christ, or somebody that wants to look like our rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, which which is what it means to believe in the name of someone in Jesus' day, was to follow their teachings and the life they modeled. Why don't we, if we call ourselves Christian, actually live by the model of the life of Jesus Why are we so keen to put our 10 commandments in the court but not put the beatitudes of Matthew 5 in the courtroom and live by that? Because we've lost our ability to think outside our bubble and our community and all we want is to win, win, win. We want to win the politics. We want to win the war. We want to take over the country. We want to make America great again. And I think Jesus is saying, stop it. Do you do well to think this way? I'm going to finish with a TikTok video. (laughs) I, I, I mean, what I hear this man saying in this video is beyond the pale for me of what Christians should be saying. Guys, we have lost it. We have absolutely lost it. And it's beyond belief. So let me share this now with you guys as we finish up this podcast. This is a a YouTube short that I recently put together.
1: deny the existence of Jesus Christ as the irrefutable one and only God you're an idiot
0: sadly this is the face of American Christianity today
1: so if you're an idiot you know what i would encourage you to do is get out a sledgehammer and smash yourself in the crotch
0: a religion that claims its leader says love your neighbor as yourself is now having its adherents encourage non-believers to inflict self-pain
1: If somebody's kneeling during the national anthem, they're probably an idiot.
0: But you see, this guy doesn't care. His politics are so intertwined with his belief system, protecting his tribal narrative is way more important than people.
1: If someone's hiding behind, you know, plexiglass, they got two masks on, they're probably an idiot.
0: Unfortunately, many other Christians believe and act like this man. They run people from the church with the shame we heap on them.
1: So please help me purge the land of the idiots.
0: God wants to tell this man and all right-wing Christians, do you do well to think this way? In fact, they're not Christian at all. None of this sounds like the Christ I read about in the Bible.
1: If somebody wants to increase your taxes ever, they're an idiot. If someone believes in the Green New Deal, they are an idiot.
0: And you evangelicals that are silent about things like this and not calling it out? You're of that mindset as well. Do you do well to act this way? You're an idiot. I know those are harsh words. I know many of us say, well, I know this person that's a Christian and that person is a Christian and they're good people. We got to do the work, guys, of saying, God, where are you in all of this? WWJD, what would Jesus do and really mean it? Because what that man said in that video, and and for those of you who are listening on audio, that was a speaker at at an America's faith conference or some, some name like that, a Christian leader saying, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're an idiot. And totally ignoring the teachings of Jesus. Jesus didn't spend a lot of time pointing fingers at people and saying, you're a sinner because you're in sexual sin or you drink too much alcohol or you, you raise taxes on people or you left that baby out on the side of the road, which was a tradition of the day. He did very little activity that makes me think he would be a right-wing Christian were he on earth today. He spoke to people like this guy and said, you're putting a religious bondage on people, and that makes you a cup that's dirty on the inside, but clean on the outside. You have malice in your hearts toward people, and that makes you the one who's not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's, that makes you the one worthy of hellfire. We just don't understand what we're reading in the New Testament. And so we've built a community narrative. And because we've lost our ability to have our mind renewed because our blindness caused from our American Christian right-wing narrative, we can't see the possibility of another way to think. (laughs) I know this has been a little bit of an intense podcast, but my heart is crying out today that God's judgment on people groups through all of history was, did you fight for justice for the poor? Did you fight for the welfare of your city? For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And when his judgment was, you haven't done that, Those people came under the judgment of God, and it often meant an overturn of their religious culture and their uh, and, and sort of their governmental structure and their culture as a whole. And if Christians truly believe that God doesn't change yesterday, today and forever, then we need to think about what happens if we're this guy and that's our religious belief system. So intertwined with our politics that we can't see the difference between one or the other. I'm calling us to change. I'm coaching people to change. In my coaching work, I've seen people have the lights go on and say, oh my gosh, I've been believing what I'm believing because it's all I've ever known. I call it the chicken coop mentality. I asked my grandfather, the farmer once, why don't chickens fly when they have wings? And he said, basically because they live in a coop where no other chickens fly. And they look at their mom, and mom doesn't fly, and they don't fly, and they just get fat until they can't fly. And whenever a chicken does finally fly, my farmer friends tell me, you clip one of its wings so it can only fly in a circle, and it finally just gives up. And guys, we're living in the chicken coop of the right-wing evangelical or right-wing Catholic or right-wing Mormon belief bubble, and it's taking away our eyes to see and our ability to think differently. That's why I'm coaching people in the idea of having your mind renewed so that you can know the perfect will of God in a season. If, If you'd like to be a part of that coaching cohort community, let me know. There are links in my bio to let me know, but just let me challenge you today with Afghanistan as a backdrop to think about. Is there a mindset that's been built from the chicken coop in which I've lived? Romans 12, two says, don't be conformed to this age. It doesn't say don't be conformed to this world. It says, don't be conformed to this age. It says, don't be conformed to this era in which you live. Don't be conformed to your bubble, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you can discern rightly the good and perfect will of God for the season. Let me encourage you to look in the mirror and say, have I bought into a belief that I need to unravel in this season and get together with a community of people who are unraveling it at the same time so that I don't get off on some weird tangent somewhere. Thank you for letting me share this today. I set aside uh, the podcast that I had planned because I just felt that was important to offer. I hope you love it. Share it with somebody else. Let me know your comments. What do you think? WWJD, would Jesus love the military might of America and agree that it's us that are keeping evil back in the world? It's your turn. Go think about it. I love you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.